0: Hello, everyone. So today's episode is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard by one of the most passionate people I've ever spoken to. So get ready for an amazing episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. But before we get into the episode, I'm excited to share our sponsor of the show, Viter Viter Energy Mints give you the energy and fresh breath in an easy-to-carry, convenient tin so you can take it with you anywhere on the go. The mints are sugar-free, have a powerful flavor, and come in five different flavors. Wintergreen, Spearmint, Peppermint, Cinnamon, and Chocolate Mint. Each mint contains 40 milligrams of caffeine, which is half the amount of caffeine in a cup of coffee. So two mints equals one cup of coffee. The mints also contain B vitamins. It's energy and fresh breath in a mint. Go to GoViter, that's G-O-V-I-T-E-R.com right now to get your mints and use promo code Lucas at checkout to get 10% off your order. My favorite flavors are the chocolate, mint, and cinnamon. They're amazing. I just took two of them and I'm feeling really good. So let's get in to today's episode. Hi everyone, thank you for joining the Golden Rule Revolution. I am so excited to bring you the episode today. Remember, this show is about treating people like people and nothing less. Regardless of where we've come from, we all have the ability to make a more positive ripple effect in this world. And today's guest, Damon West, is certainly choosing to make a more positive ripple effect after a very dark place that he was in. It's an incredible story. So buckle up and let's listen to Damon West. Damon, how are you today?
1: Man, I am so good, brother. And thank you for having me on your show and giving me a chance to be useful today.
0: Oh, man, my pleasure. And I'm honored to have you on. Your story, truly, I mean, everyone's story is unique. But I would say there's more unique stories than others, and your story is incredibly unique. So before we get into the punchline, per se, of your story, tell us about where you grew up and, and your life as a child.
1: Man, I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas. And so Port Arthur, Texas, Texas is a big state. And uh, so Port Arthur is on the, the southeast part of the state where Louisiana and Texas meet right there on the Gulf Coast. And uh, I grew up down here. Football is big in Texas. I don't know, you know, how many of your listeners understand just how big Texas high school football is. But it's a big deal. My dad was a sports writer growing up. And he was a sports writer for about 50 years. In fact, he was the first sports writer in this part of the state to put a black athlete on the front page of a sports page. And believe Mm. it or not, that was a big deal back in 1971 because he's got a box of hate mail at home to prove what that decision was like, you know, when Uh he crossed the, the color barrier with uh, the, the sports page. I mean, you look back at it now in the, in the lens of history and you can think, wow, you know, I can't believe it was that, that big of a deal. Or, or maybe you look at it and say we haven't come that far. Um, but that's probably yeah. a whole other podcast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh-
0: East, Texas, <laughs> East Texas is, uh, I mean, that's, well, I was a TV reporter. My wife and I were in San Antonio, Texas for a couple of years. And, and we met some people that grew up in Pearsall, Texas. And they said there were three different drinking fountains for water. There are Hispanic, black, and white drinking fountains at the elementary school. And I'm like, God, that's just, yeah. it's a different world, different day and well, age.
1: You know, Texas was still part of the South, man. It was part of the Confederacy. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's got its ugly past too. I mean, a lot, maybe not everybody wants to talk about that, but I mean,
0: it flew yeah. the Confederate
1: flag during the, during the Civil War, so.
0: That's a beautiful story that you come from uh, a heritage where your dad was able to stand against all that and stand for something so beautiful.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think the majority of Texans at that time were were of the belief, the same belief that my mother and father were. They, they didn't, uh, didn't see color, didn't see race. And so my mom was a nurse, and I had an older brother named Brandon, younger brother named Grayson, man, nice, knit, little, happy Catholic home, my mom. Was one of those moms that had a prayer plaque or a cross in every room in the house, man. You, guys, and, <laughs> you know, and I, and I talk about it in the past tense, but they're still alive. Both my parents are still alive. So. But my mom had crosses and had crucifixes everywhere and stuff like that. But we got an older brother named Brandon, younger brother named Grayson. We grew up in Port Arthur. Port Arthur is predominantly African American, it's a blue collar town, refinery town. And it's, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, Luke, because they had a lot of the white families moved out of Puerto Arthur. They called it the white flight during around the time of forced integration. And my parents, instead of moving, they dug in their hills and stayed. They wanted their kids to go to integrated schools. And we did, man. We were all, you know, I was always one of the only white kids at summer parties, birthday parties, uh, sporting events, sports teams, you name it. So, I mean, I came from a good people. And, and that's an important part of my story because it's going to save my life later on with the way I was raised. So. Hmm. Uh, So we're going through life. Everything looks good, but you know, we've got issues too. Every family does. And When I'm nine years old, I come out and tell my parents that my babysitter had been molested. Hmm. This is childhood sexual abuse back in the eighties, man. They didn't know as much about it back then as they know now, but my parents, they love me. So they sent me to talk to the family priest. We prayed about it. My mom, man, she thought she could pray everything away, but something decided that little nine year old boy went to a really dark place. And by the time I was 10, I was drinking. I was getting my dad's beer in the fridge. I was sneaking to drinks at friends' houses whose parents had liquor cabinets and they smoking cigarettes. By the time I'm 12, I'm smoking pot, man. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm into drugs at 12 years old. So something's wrong, but I hide it well. Plus, man, you know, I could throw a football really well, Luke. And this is Texas, man. So, I mean, I was the star quarterback of my town. I got a, you know, I was a three year starter in, in high school for a 5A school, which was the biggest, uh, biggest. Uh, kind of football there was back then and got a football scholarship to play ball at the University of North Texas which is uh, up in Denton about six hours from Fort Arthur and
0: so when I left home
1: when I was 18 to go play division one college football I kind of left a lot of other things at home too like you know like my sanity I mean when I got to college and all I really cared about was two things because all I cared about was being the starting quarterback for my division one college football team and drinking and partying a lot and so I did I did both really yeah. well and but, you know, you come to these days in life that I like to call fork in the road days. And these fork in the road days, life knocks you down, man. You get knocked down to the dirt. You get back up. You got to dust yourself off. And you got a choice to make. You know, and, you know it, and the whole world looks different after you get when you get to a fork in the road because something, you know, something has jars you to the ground hard. So you get up and you got to dust yourself off. You got to have a choice. Do I make the right choice go the right way or do I make the wrong choice go the wrong direction? And uh, September 21st, 96, I had one of those such days. Uh, we were playing football against the Texas A&M Aggies. And, you know, and growing up in Texas, you know, what little boy doesn't want to either play for those guys or play against them? And so mm. it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and we take the field. By the third play of the game, I'm done. My college football career is over, man. I separate my shoulder. They've got to go in and cut my collarbone out. and You know, I sustain mm. other injuries. So I never play college football again. And I get to this fork in the road in life, and – I mean, that's when I started putting in the hardcore drugs. I mean, I make a lot of wrong choices at that point. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at the world. You know, why me? Pity party. You know, my football career, this. So I started putting in cocaine, ecstasy, pills, you name it. And So I'm partying all the time. I'm in a fraternity. And somehow, by the grace of God, I graduate college in 1999. I move off to Washington, D.C., get a job working in the United States Congress and uh, work for a congressman from Houston. Then after that, I get a job uh, doing fundraising for a guy running for president of the United States in 2004. So I'm all over the country raising money for him. And after he drops out of the race, I moved back to Dallas, Texas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And it was at that job as a broker that I was introduced to meth for the first time. And and, and meth was a different animal, Luke. I mean, it was it was one of those things. I tell kids all the time, all over the country when I go speaking, that meth is the most evil, most addictive, most destructive drug ever created by man. And I mean, and it's made in a lab and it's, it grabbed a hold of me and, and it never let go. I, I was instantly hooked the first time I smoked it mm. and I gave up everything freely for that drug. One of the important things to know about my story is that, man, I talk about recovery a lot because I'm an addict. I'm an addict and I'm always going to be an addict. If you're an addict, you're never going to get well. You may get better, but you're never going to get well. Mm. And all addicts need a program of recovery, but at this point in my life, I didn't know anything about addiction or a program of recovery, nor did I care, man. All I, addicts are really selfish. All I cared about was was getting my high. And so I gave everything away up for that drug. I gave up my job, my home, my savings, my car, my sanity, my family. I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets of Dallas. And so mm-hmm. I'm homeless and I'm living in dope houses. And and then uh, you know, I'm staying with a bunch of other meth addicts and all these little meth dens and you know, And this is important to, to point out, man. I'm, I came from a middle-class white background, man. And I've had every opportunity to be anything I wanted to be in life. And here I am living like a bum, a street person, because I've got, I'm living in my addiction. Mm. And uh, we sit around these little dope dens, and all we do is get high. And we talk about how we're going to get higher and higher. But we've got a fundamental problem with our operation. We don't have jobs, man. And so we do what all addicts do, always do. We do whatever we have to do to get high. And that includes stealing. So we started stealing from people's storage units, people's cars. Uh, eventually, we escalated to home burglaries. And, you know, when I did burglaries, you know, I, I talk about accountability here because my victims are the most important people in the in the story. They're the reason why we have a criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my victims, man, they lost more than just their property. They lost a lot of property. They did. I mean, there was over a million dollars worth of property stolen during the Uptown Burglaries over three years. They called them the Uptown Burglaries for the neighborhood of Dallas that I was burglarizing. It's where I lived when I was doing well as a stockbroker. And so, Mm. um, you know, these burglaries went on for three years, but these people lost more than the property. My victims, man, I stole their sense of security, because I don't know if they ever get that back, you know? And that's uh, that's something they had to live with for the rest of their lives, and so do I. So, but on July 30th, 2008, it all came to an end, man. I'm sitting around this little rundown apartment where I live in Dallas. I got my meth dealer named Tex sitting next to me, man. And, and Tex is sitting there on the couch, and we're smoking a glass pipe for meth. I'm telling Tex, man, Tex, I think the end is near. I think the cops are going to come get me pretty soon. About 10 days before this, this guy I've been doing all these burglaries with, this guy named Dustin, had been picked up by the Dallas Police Department. And so they're putting the screws to this guy. I know it's a matter of time before they get to me. And just as I pass the pipe back to Tex, man, I hear a window shatter off to my right. You know, it's something across my living room floor. It's just little canister going end over end. And it starts to register what's going on in my mind. It's like a slow motion reel from a movie. As I get up over this thing and bam, this flash ring grenade goes off in my face, man. Bright white light, loud noise. blew me back on the couch. And when I came to and I could see and hear again, this cop in full swat right here, man. He's got his boot on my chest and the barrel of a machine gun is digging in my eye socket. And I could feel the barrel up against my eyeball. It's cold, man. He's got his finger hovering above the trigger. And this cop is screaming at me, don't move, don't move. Man, I looked up at this guy and I blinked. and I was like, man, don't worry. You know, don't worry. And so cops started flooding in my apartment. I remember hearing one of them scream out, we got it! We got the uptown burglar. And, and they did, man. They had me. And that's the moniker I'll have to live with for the rest of my life, you know, is the uptown burglar. You know, that's the consequences of my, my behavior. Um, but a dozen other math addicts and myself man, and this burger crew, young and old, male and female, black and white, everything in between. We indiscriminately and without reservation broke into the homes of dozens of people to feed our insatiable meth habits. But on July 30th, 2008, man, it all came crashing down to an end and, and they had their man. And so they took me to down, down Dallas County Jail and processed me in and I began what was gonna be a long incarceration. But I didn't know, man. The first, you know, when I got into to, to jail, man, I mean, of course I'm scared to death and I'm in there. Um, I'm in a fight within the first day or two in, in jail. And, you know, I call home and talked to my, my mom and my dad, and, you know, my dad's destroyed. I mean, he's crying on the phone, and my mm. mom gets on the phone, she talks to me, and she's, you know, she's like, maybe listen, you know, there's nothing we can do for you, but we love you unconditionally. And uh, then she asked me a question, and she said, Damon, do you remember that prayer plaque that I had on your wall as a kid growing up? And, you know, my mom, like I said, she had these crosses and prayer plaques all over the house, man. So I'm, I've been out on the dope for years. My brain's not even firing right, so I'm like, no, Mom, I don't. What, what, what are you talking about? And she said, "Baby's footprints in the sand." Do you remember the story mm-hmm. of footprints in the sand? And I was like, I don't! I don't know what you're talking about." So she patiently and lovingly retold me the story of footprints in the sand about a guy walking on the beach with God. And and it's this part of the story, when I talk about God, I'm in recovery, man. When I talk about God, man, plug in whatever God you believe in, or if you if you believe in a God, I mean it, that's that's your t- entirely a person's choice. And so, you know, but I have I have a belief in God. So she she's telling me the story from the angle of you know, mm-hmm. guys walking the beach with God and they're watching a video of his life way out in the sky. And she said, every, every time there's something good happens in a man's life, there's two sets of footprints walking side by side. She said, but every time something bad happens, when there's pain, there's hurt, there's suffering, there's loss. When he, when he loses his football career, there's, there's one set of footprints. And finally, she said, the guy calls God out and says, God, what's up, man? Every time you're, every time something good happens, you're walking with me side by side. But when something bad happens, man, you abandon me. Man, I can see one set of footprints. And and that's when my mom said that, you know, God laughs and said, Damon, you fool. Every time you saw one set of footprints, I didn't abandon you. I carried you. Well, she started screaming like the football coach, you know, she's like, baby, mm-hmm. look down in that jail cell. There's one set of footprints that are not yours. She said, get on God's back. I don't want to lose my son. And so, you know, I started talking to a God that night that I hadn't talked to in years, man. Mm-hmm. And, and this is some crazy conversation. Dude, this goes on for 10 months. Man. I get on my knees in that jail cell in Dallas County Jail. And, I hit my knees every night, religiously, for lack of a better word. And I ask God, man, I start off, from, you know, God, man, get me out of this jam. If you do, there I am bargaining with God, right? That's mm-hmm. what addicts do, man. We bargain with everybody. We, we manipulate, we lie. So I'm asking God, man, God, get me out of this jam. And if you do, I'll be a normal guy again. I'll get a job, and I'll just smoke meth on the weekends, you know? And that's, I mean, that's the prayer of an addict. And so, but man, he never got that. It never hit his inbox, man, went into spam because <laughs> – 10 months later, dude, well, 10 months later, when I go to trial, man, I get six days in court and and six days is a long criminal trial in Texas. And and at the end of six days, a jury of my peers deliberate for 10 minutes on my sentence, 10 minutes, man. That's all they take. I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you, man. Hmm. So I came back into the courtroom and the judge galloped it in. He said, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas department of criminal justice. Man, that's a life sentence, man. That took my breath away. And I was like, oh, man, I can hear my mom gasp on the front row. And, hmm. and uh, you know, they took me out of the courtroom real quick and threw me in the side room and told me to wait there. And, and that's when I had a really important conversation my, with my mom and my dad, man, right then and there on the spot. So, yeah, but it's, it, that, so that, that'll catch you up into the part we're about to get into the crazy part about prison. Do you have any direct questions you want to ask right now? <laughs>
0: Bueller Bueller (laughs) Well first of all brother (sighs) Amazing A couple things Number one A little boy who Lost his sense of security Then goes out And takes other people's Sense of security Later on. Very astute. And July 2008, you're not on Wall Street during the crash. You're having your own personal crash.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, in looking at that, what were you, this is before, let's go back to being age 12. Yep. Or ten when you're drinking when you're drinking beer, because I understand abuse. So, do you have any first-person memories? Can you remember? Were you angry? Did you? What happened in that disassociation where the little boy lost his innocence to where you're you're trying to to soothe that hurt
1: you know i think more than anything i'm not one of those guys that comes out and says oh my god i was molested and and it changed me and 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 i turned to drinking i think it's more along the lines of hey i got introduced to very adult behaviors at a very young age and i crossed over into a realm you're not supposed to cross into and that's where i think the change happened i think that uh, excuse me. I think I crossed into some very adult behaviors that you know you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to be into as a little boy. Yeah. So, and I, I think that that's the big thing. I think that was that was the big thing that happened to me. I don't think it was um, something of you know, hey, you know, it messed me up so bad I started turning to drinking. Hmm. I, I think that I just got into something.
0: Hmm.
1: Wait, well, hang on a second. I'm trying to see. I think my battery. It said my battery. Okay, there we go.
0: No problem. No problem. So um, that, that, that crying out to God, that praying to God, that, that acknowledging even the concept of a power outside yourself, a higher power, a greater power. What was that journey like in those 10 months that you prayed every, every morning and every night on your knees? Yeah, man.
1: You know, I'm praying all the time, but man, you know, that wasn't really praying, man. That's, that's more like, Hey, you know, I need this, I need that. It's, it's the opposite of praying. You know what I learned about praying though, I, I learned how to pray when I got into recovery in prison, you know, and that'll come later on in the story. But I learned how to, when I to tell you that I learned how to pray in recovery because in recovery, you learn how to get outside of self man. you learn that, you know, it's not about you. So um, in recovery, I learned my prayer that I say today to this, this this day. I mean, and my prayer is the same two part prayer that I was praying in prison. It's simple. It's God put in front of me, what you need me to do today for you and let me recognize it when I see it. And that's it, man. I don't pray for anything I think I want or need. I just got to trust that God, as I understand him will take care of the things I need and, and, or the, I mean, but the things I want, I may not get. Somebody told me in prison. In fact, I write about it in my book. It's a, uh, that if you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're going to worry, don't pray. You can't have it both
0: ways. <laughs> That's good. So, I like that. Yeah, That's
1: great. Yeah, if if, if, yeah. You can't have it both ways. So,
0: so after you got sentenced, what was that call? You said you had a big conversation with your parents. What was that? So my parents, so they're going to give my parents one last
1: meeting with me before I go to prison. Right. So, so five minutes after the court is adjourned, my parents walk in. They've got me on the other side of a bulletproof glass. We can't, my parents can't touch me. I'm going to prison. There's no hugging anymore. None of that None of that stuff. That's over. And so my dad, he walks in. He's in stunned his belief. He's stoic, man. He's, he just saw his son with all this promise, get a life sentence in prison. Mm. And my mom does all the talking. My mom is a nurse. She's used to traumatic situations. So she says, baby, she says, debts in life demand to be paid. And she said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did in that courtroom, Damon. So you have a debt to pay the society. You have to go to prison and pay that debt. She said, but you owe a debt to your father and I too. She said, we gave you all the love and opportunity and support to be anything you wanted to be in this life. And, and this is how you repay it. She said, that's not going to work, Damon. She said, there's just no way that's going to be the way it goes. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of the city. We gave you a great moral compass, which you didn't use. And, uh, there's a debt you owe your father and I, and here's the debt you're going to pay. She said, when you go to prison, you're going to get on God's back. Like I told you to, And she said, you will not get one of these white hate groups because you're scared because you're a minority in there. One of these Aryan brotherhood type gangs." She said, you're not going to do that. She said, not only you're not going to get one of these gangs, but you're not going to get any tattoos. You're not getting any tattoos while you're in there. Hmm. And so she said, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised, or don't you come back at all. And so this wow. is tough love from mom. So, she said, "Do you understand this debt you're going to pay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, mom, I understand." But you know, I had no clue what what I was telling her, because I didn't know what kind of promise I was making. Because when I got back to the pod, in county jail where I was living, so I'm going around asking all these guys in county jail, "How am I going to survive prison?" And every every single convict in there, man, that's been to prison before, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, is telling me the same thing, man. Well, you're going to the worst part of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, man—a part where everybody's got a life sentence and so they said, you're not even going to come off the building you live on for five years. The lifers stay on a building for five years so they don't escape. So you're going to be fighting every day unless you get into a gang. You know, everybody's like, man, you're 33 years old. You're gang recruiting age. Get into a game. But there was this one guy, man, this old black guy named Jackson. And I called him Mr. Jackson out of respect. And Mr. Jackson, was always really positive, man. He'd come by and check on me every day. And, you know, he'd try to lift my spirits up. And he was good at it. So. He came by one day and he said, Hey, you know, Wes, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads, these dumb man talk about you're going to get into a gang. He was like, man, don't listen to them. He said, you don't have to get into a gang. He said, but let me tell you what prison is going to be like. He said, first thing you need to understand about prison is prison is all about race. He said, it's the most disgusting environment you'll ever see in your life. Hmm. He said, and so understand that going in. So you don't get into a wreck over race. He said, you know, he said, because it's about race. He said, you're going to have to fight all the white gangs first. If you want independence, all the." all the Aryan brotherhood, the Aryan circle, the white knights, the woods, all these guys I Man, you're fighting all of them and he's, he said if you can survive their onslaught of you know their onslaught and their, their if you survive their onslaught and and you don't give in to, to their ideology of hate out of fear he said then you'll fight the black gangs next and they're going to send the black gangs after you the, the crips, the buds, Gangster disciples, mandingo warriors he's naming all of these black gangs up he mm-hmm. said you're going to fight them all man he said, but if you can survive all that, you can survive all that because people have survived. He said, you will earn the right to walk alone. He said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone. And then he told me, he said, you don't have to win all these fights, but you do have to fight all these fights. And that's the lesson in life, uh, Lucas. I mean, you, nobody's that good to win all their fights and all their battles in life. You're going to lose sometimes. And, hmm. But Jackson's telling me, you got to get up and fight, man. You cannot turn down a fight in a maximum security prison. They'll devour you there. And then he gives me this analogy. And this analogy – is what I take with me everywhere I go. It's, 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 I mean, like literally college football programs all over the country have in their locker rooms. Dablo uh, Sweeney, and anytime he talks to somebody about Damon West, he's talking about the coffee bean story. Matter of fact, John Gordon, you familiar with John Gordon? Yeah. John called me up this past summer. And you know, I do a, today I do a lot of motivational speaking. I go to all his college football programs and I go all over the country. And, but I get a phone call last summer from John Gordon. And John Gordon, man, he's like, he's way up there. He's he's a huge motivational speaker. Still has yeah. millions of books, right? He's great. So, I love his books. I love them. Me too, man. So he calls me up and he's he's like, Damon, this John Gordon. I'm like, John Gordon, how do you even know who I am? He said, Man, he said, Dabo Swinney can't quit talking about you in that coffee bean story. And I'm like, wow, man, I'm just blown away. He said, Listen, Damon, he said, the next book I write. I'm going to call it the coffee bean and I want you to write it with me. We'll split everything 50, 50. How's that sound? Mm. And I'm like, wow, John, you you know, I said, John, you don't have to do this. He said, yeah, he said, I do. He said, God's telling me to do it. So let's do it. Mm. You know, Lucas said on July 2nd, the coffee bean will be out in stores. It's already on, you can already buy it on amazon.com right now. Wow. The coffee bean by John Gordon and Damon West. I mean, it's crazy, man. It's just nuts. But so here's the coffee bean. So Mr. Jackson said, Hey, look, he said, West, I want you to imagine prison is like a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put in that pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat, the pressure inside that pot. He said, there's three things I'm going to put in that pot of boiling water. Let's, let's watch how they change. He said, a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. He said, first things first. He said, if I put a carrot to a pot of boiling water and boil it, what happens to the carrot? And I said, well, the carrot turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot went into prison hard, but the water changed that carrot quick. Turned mm-hmm. him soft. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed, he got raped, and he may have gotten killed. He said, you do not want to be the carrot. He said, let's put an egg in that pot of boiling water we call prison. We well, said, what happens to the egg? And I said, well, egg turns hard, like a hard-boiled egg, right? And He said, yeah. He said, that's right. He said, the egg has that hard outer shell that protects it physically, so it doesn't have the same fate as the carrot because it's physically protected. He said, but inside, that soft liquid core turned hard. He said, now his heart is hardened, and if your heart is hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And if you're incapable of giving and receiving love, then you are institutionalized. He said, if you become institutionalized, you will not come back as someone your parents recognize. He said, but Wes, let's put that coffee bean in that pot of warm water. He said, what happens when you put a coffee bean in a pot of warm water? And I didn't know. I didn't know the answer. Lucas, and, you know, so Jackson says, you know, for a college boy, you're not too smart, Wes. <laughs> he said, if you put a coffee bean into a pot of warm water, he said, now you got to change the name of the water to coffee. He said, the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, small like you, West, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot of boiling water. Mm. He said, everybody in life puts that energy, you know, and this is the, the theme of your podcast, pretty much. He said, everybody in life puts that energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy you, energy you put out, you get back. It's the law of attraction, right? He's saying, so That's if true. you walk around negative all the time with a scowl on your face and a frown, he said, you're going to attract those same kind of people, those same kind of inmates. He said, and in prison, that can be a dangerous, even deadly endeavor. He said, but Wes, if you walk around with a smile on your face and you let those dudes know they're not getting to you, he said, you'll change that prison from the inside out. He said, and the best part about it is, Wes, he said, the other coffee beans in prison will find you because of your energy. Hmm. He said, so go out there and go be that coffee bean, West." And so, and then I was off, man. I was off to prison. And, and so I had to figure out this coffee bean thing. So it's like, I've got this secret, man. I've got this secret that I feel like everything's going to be okay if I can just figure out how to be that coffee bean because I know that the coffee bean is going to be okay. I know the egg's not, the carrot's not, but how do I become a coffee bean? So I got to get through prison first. And the first couple months is a trial trial by fire, baptism by fire, man. It is, hmm. it is brutal. And you know, first couple of weeks I'm fighting all the white gangs and that, hmm. I mean, that's, that's tough. And then after that, it's all the black gangs. And eventually about six weeks into it, I'm on the basketball court trying to fight for my life out there. And, and it takes about a week out there in the basketball court. The most, brutal games of basketball I've ever played in my life. And this is mm-hmm. basketball in the life sentence building of a maximum security prison in Beaumont, Texas, the Mark Stiles unit. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no guards. There's no referees. There's no such thing as a foul. You punch, kick, scratch, bite, whatever you want to do, man, it's basketball.
0: Wow.
1: And, but at the end of six days, man, those guys said, man, you, you pulled something off out here. We've never seen a white guy pull off before. You took everything we had. You gave it back when you could. And you never got racially charged, never called us any names. Said, so, man, you've earned the right to walk alone, man. Just so – You know, and and there was one more fight I had to get in after that about two weeks later. And that was that was a fight to the death kind of deal in in the shower. This guy told me that this guy was going to come try to rape me in the shower. And so uh, I took a fan motor in there as my weapon and tried to bash this guy's brains in with it. And, you know, I'm going to leave that story for my book, The Change Agent. If you want to know about that story and how it goes down. Leave that for the book, man. That's, that's called, mm-hmm. it's in the chapter called You'll Never Leave This Place Alive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but once I got done with all the violence, all the physical violence was over and I, and I was certain that I was going to be fine. And Everybody backed off because once that, that last fight went down, everybody in that prison saw that I could speak the one language everybody's fluent in in maximum security prison in America. And that one language everybody speaks in prison is violence, bro. And if mm-hmm. you either speak violence to someone else or someone else speaks violence to you, But one way or another, you're fluent in violence. And when they saw that I could speak violence, they backed off and left me alone. And and that's when I changed my mindset when I was in prison. I had to change my mindset and quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity, Lucas. I mean, this is my opportunity. It sounds crazy to think that I'm in a maximum security prison serving a life sentence, and this is an opportunity of all things. But it is, man, because Mm. where else am I going to have 24 hours a day, seven days a week to work on me? So now I've got to figure out how to be that coffee bean. So here's lesson number one of being a coffee bean. It all starts with your body language. And when you're in prison, you learn a lot about reading people's body language. And they can tell you where a danger zone is, tell you where not to go, or where a place is safe to go. When you walk into a room, your body language is going to speak before you ever open your mouth, right? Mm. So when you walk into a room, you want to be a coffee bean, smile. Put on your best smile you can. Light that room up. And what you're going to do is you're going to attract good energy at you. And you're going to repel the negative stuff at you. No one wants to mess with you if they're negative, man. And you're grinning from ear to ear, man. They don't want to be around you. And that's good because you don't want them around you either. So that's the first rule about being a coffee bean. The second rule about being a coffee bean that I learned was that you got to get up every day and you got to work out. But now I'm not just talking about physically, man. I'm talking about three areas of your life you have to work out on, spiritually, mentally, and physically. You know, you are what you eat. And that's not just about food. That's about Man, what kind of videos do you watch? What kind of websites do you go to? What mm. kind of books do you read? You know, who do you hang out with? Man, hell, if you if you tell me who you hang out with, you show me who you hang out with, I can tell you who you are, you know. So, what are you feeding yourself? And spiritually, what are you feeding yourself? You know, like I said before, man, pick a pick something to believe in, but man, but tap into it every day or or every week, every month, every year, whatever. Man, it's a big universe out there. You should really consider it if you're not tapped into something. Mm. And, and so Man, I watched all these guys in there, these biggest, baddest guys I've ever seen in my life. Man, they could play pro football, pro basketball. They're huge, man. But all they did was work out on their bodies because they weren't working on their minds. They weren't working on their souls. Mm. And sometimes some people's purpose in life is to be an example of what not to do. So I had a lot of examples of what not to do around me. Mm. So I got to work, man. I got to work. You know, I read a lot of books when I was in there because reading is a good way to exercise your brain. And it's a good way to mentally feed yourself spiritually, mentally, physically part, the mental part and spiritual part. You can get through a lot of reading. So I did. man. I, I learned two things about books in prison. One, I never saw a guy reading a book get into a fight. Never happened at one time. Mm. Two, I never saw a guy. I never saw a book. I mean, I never saw a fight over a book. So, you know, I never saw a guy reading a book get to a fight and I never saw a fight over a book. So books were kind of safe, man. So I read mm. a lot of books, voracious reader. And I read everything, man, history, fiction, nonfiction, novels. Uh, The history of world religions, man, it was one of the most fascinating things. So I've got all this time on my hands. So I dive into it, man. I find out there's five major religions in the history of the world. There's Hinduism. There's Buddhism. There's Judaism. There's Christianity. There's Islam, you know. So I I get all of their sacred texts, you know. I get get the Bhagavad Gita. I get the Torah. I get the Bible. I get the Quran, I I get all these books. I read, and I find out when I get my hands, the big books, Alcoholics Anonymous, that there's four spiritual principles that are going through all these same the same four spiritual principles in all these four holy books and they're in the big books the big book of aa it's it's unselfish it's honest it's pure and it's loving and they, they call them the four absolutes you know mm. unselfish honest pure and loving you know if the things i want to do in life are not unselfish honest pure and loving then then they're over on the other side of the spectrum bro and that's where the danger is where it's selfish self seeking self want self desire Self delusion, man. The self delusion is that ego, man. That voice, that would you believe your own crap, you know. So I had to shake myself of all this stuff, and so, so here we are, man. We've got the first lesson about being a coffee bean is your body language, man. Just smile. And the second language of the second rule about being a coffee bean is to work out spiritually, mentally, and physically. And when I learned about these four absolutes, I I got to the third rule about being a coffee bean, and that's what. Learning what the secret to life was. I found out the secret to life in prison of all places, you know. But the secret to life, I found out, is serving others and being humble. It's Mm. servant leadership, man. It's helping other people achieve Mm. their goals in life. Helping raise other people up to different stations in life. Because when you're helping other people, you're helping yourself. And that's the way the universe works, man. The universe demands that of us. We are to go out there. We're to find ways to put back into the stream of life. And when I started doing that, when I got outside of self, for the first time in my whole life, my whole addict life, that I was useful again. And mm. that was the thing. I just needed to find a way to be useful. And then I taught guys how to read and write in prison, got them ready for the GED test. I, I couldn't take college classes because I, I had a bachelor's degree already. So, I mean, I, I, I tutored guys. I, I used my brain. I, I gave them what I could what was inside my head. And so that led me to the next lesson about being a coffee bean. It's lesson number four, man. And lesson number four is about the things that you control. And so I have this fallacy in my mind as an addict of all these things I control in life. And I don't really control all these things. That's, that's delusion man. And, and, and addicts live in a state of delusion and, and I'm no different. Hmm. So I went to a recovery meeting in prison. I went to a lot of recovery meetings. I like guess that's where I got into recovery. And uh, we start out those meetings with the serenity prayer. Lucas, you ever heard the serenity prayer?
0: I have, but can you repeat it for those who haven't? Sure. It's God grant me the serenity
1: to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Hmm. So we go into the meeting, we say the prayer, and the guy that's holding the meeting up, he says, hey, Damon, get up there and tell us what the Trinity prayer means. And so I get up there and, and say something quick on my feet, and it doesn't make any sense. And he tells me I'm wrong to sit down. He says, so he goes up to the chalkboard inside this prison, inside the prison chapel. He goes to the chalkboard, he draws a line from one side of the chalkboard to the other. And in rumor and recovery, we talk about God. We're talking about a higher power because there's more than just Christians in there. There's people of all faiths, and yeah. and the reason why in recovery they, they let you pick your own higher power is because they don't want to lose an addict just because an addict's not a Christian. Yeah. So they yeah. want to they want to be inclusive. So when he's going to talk about God, he's talking about a higher power. So he draws a line from one side of the chalkboard to the next, and he said, "Damon, that line is God's line." He said, "In God's line." Is bigger than that chalkboard. It's infinitely long. It goes from one horizon universe to the next. He said, you can't fathom the size of God's line. He said the first part of the prayer. He said, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. He said, the things you cannot change, Damon, are on God's line. He said, so stay off of God's line. He said, all your life, all the trouble you've ever gotten into is because you tried to grab something off the wrong line. You tried to grab God's stuff. Mm. Leave God's stuff alone. Then he said the next part of the prayer the courage to change the things I can. And he took his fingers an inch apart and went to race a little inch out of that line. And then he held his fingers up an inch apart to the whole chapel. And he said, Damon, if God's line is infinitely long, your line is to scale. You get one inch of an infinitely long line. And that's where God gives you all the things that you get to work on every single day. He said, but I'll save you the, the suspense. There's only four things that you get to work on. They're the same four things everybody else gets to work on too. He said, they are the four things that you control in this life. He said, the four things you control, the only things you control in this life are what you think, what you say, what you feel. He said, and most importantly, Damon, everybody's going to see this, what you do, mm. what you think, what you say, what you feel, what you do. He said, if it's not one of those four things, it's God's. Leave it alone. Because he mm. said the last part of the prayer, the wisdom to know the difference. And he held his hands up real big, like a big line. He said, the wisdom to know the difference between the big line and the one-inch line. He said, because that's where addicts. He said, we're addicts, man. We get we get crossed up on that all the time. We think our line's the big line, and God's line's the small line. Hmm. He said, "Stay off of God's line, Damon." And when I learned that, Lucas, man, it was like something clicked off of my head, and it, and it was amazing how much stress left my life and how much decision making left my life because I'm sitting there making decisions and trying to base things, base thoughts on on things that aren't even mine. I can't control, and, and when you do that, uh, it's insanity. You you hmm. you never get comfortable. You're never calm, and so. Once I did that, you know, that, that's lesson number four about being a coffee bean. Man, I became so useful. I mean, everybody took notice. Parole took notice. And so I'm digging out my, my, my life sentence there. I'm doing my time. And at seven years and three months, I come up for parole for the first time. you know, And I get to come up for an early parole because no one was ever physically hurt during the commission of my crimes. No mm. one was ever home. No one was ever there. Uh, no one ever was ever confronted. There were no weapons, none of that stuff. And I wasn't a violent guy. And so at the seven year and three months parole comes to my cell and they say, Hey, Mr. West, we're going to let you go, man. We're going to give you one shot, but if you come back in handcuffs anywhere else in this country, we're going to keep you until 2073 when your sentence expires. Mm-hmm. So they said, you got this program. You want to go around talking to kids all over the country. You want to change the world, be this coffee bean, go do it, but don't come back here because if you do, you're never leaving. And so mm-hmm. I walked out of prison on July, on November 16th, 2015, with a lifetime on parole until 2073, but man, it didn't matter. I was, I was free, right? Not, not just free in the physical sense, but free mentally, free spiritually. I see more people on the outside of prison that are locked up Lucas than I ever did on the inside Mm. More people are imprisoned by thoughts than by steel bars. That's a fact. And so the fifth lesson about being a coffee bean is that your past does not define you. your past wins. Don't define you. Your past losses don't define you. I mean, honestly, your past is your lesson, man. Your past is your lesson. Learn from it. Your past is there for you to to pick nuggets of wisdom from, man. Your past is your lesson. The present today, that's a gift, man. You gotta make the most of it today. But the future is your motivation, Lucas, and that, that's what I talk to people about all the time, man. What motivates you, man? What are your goals? Because choose wisely when you're choosing goals, because goals should be something that are outside of self, man. Maybe you have a, you're on a team, you have team goals, you have individual goals. Okay, it's cool to put an individual goal in there, but let's put up goals of meaning, man. My goal is to be a better husband one day, or or maybe a better father, or, or maybe someone that's a female, a better wife, a better mother, better brother, better better, better sister. A better future servant leader, man. What if everybody Mm. set the goal out to be a servant leader, and all they did was pay it forward all the time? Mm. What would the world be like then, you know? So your past is your lesson. The present is a gift, and the the future is your motivation. When I was in prison, Luke, because I did my own legal work, because everybody wants out of prison. That's in prison. It's a fact of life. And so I did my own appeal, and I sent a copy of my appeal to this guy named Walter Humphrey. And Walter Humphrey is the owner of the Provost Humphrey Law Firm. He is the namesake of the firm. Huge. One of the most prestigious firms in the state of Texas. Texas is big, man. And he's the old family friend. So I sent a copy of my appeal to him when I was in prison. And he got back in touch with me. He said, man, you put together a hell of a writ, Damon, for a guy that's never been to law school. He said, when you get out of prison, come see me. I've got a job for you. And Lucas, man, I walked out November 16, 2015. And November 17, 2015, I'm sitting in this huge, ornate, beautiful building called the Provost Humphrey Law Firm in Beaumont, Texas, and Mr. Humphrey's meeting with me and gives me a job in that firm. I work for that firm today wow. to this day, man, three and a half years out of prison. Man, one in a million guys out of prison gets a job in a place like that, man, and wow. I hit the ground running. I'm a paralegal right out of prison. And, uh, and, man, things start happening, you know, because I think a lot of doors opened up and a lot of things have happened, a lot of things that I call God things, because – I'm doing the right thing. I'm putting back into the stream of life, man. I find ways to to use my story to help other people, man. Because all I want to do, I tell people all the time in every audience, man, I'm not going to get through to everybody in this audience when I go talk to a high school or junior high, but I'm looking for that one kid in this audience. I'm looking for that little Damon West in there and I, because I need to stop you right now. Because if I stop you right now, then you don't go out and make any victims and you don't go out and hurt your family. Then, then you don't go out and become a burden on the taxpayers, man. So it's a domino effect. It's a, it affects all kinds of parts of society. So that's my goal, man. That's my mission. I want to go out there and find those demons out there.
0: It's beautiful, brother. I am, I'm, I'm just blown away how <clears throat> talking about the law of attraction, how you and I got connected through Chris worth and how here we are talking, how, life is um life is amazing man when you look at all the good that comes from all the bad and how how would you know this is you learned freedom in prison before you were even free that that contrast is that polarization or the the polarity i think um you know you said it's a fact that more people are in prison by their thoughts than they're by steel bars. Yeah, yeah. by steel bars. If, for those that are still in their, their self-solitary confinement prisons of their thoughts, what do you want to tell them right now?
1: Oh, man. Here's the deal. If, if you're locked up by your thoughts and you're locked up by things that you, – or your possessions, even, let's talk about that. I mean because people – people are controlled by the things that they own, you know, their things mm-hmm. that they own, own them. And so yeah. if you're one of those people, here's what you got to do. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. And you got to see, Hey, what is it that makes me happy? What's going to make me, here's the deal. I'm going to, I'm going to skip to it because don't ask yourself too long what's going to make you happy. Let me tell you what's going to make you happy. Let me tell you how this works because here's, and I learned this in recovery. If I am disturbed, there is something wrong with me, mm. all right? And that's just the bottom line. If I'm disturbed about something, I'm involved in that process somewhere, man. There's a reason why I'm disturbed and it's me. And so it's like being in that courtroom in, when I get sentenced to life in prison and it's like, hey, that was rock bottom for me because, hey, something's got to change here and it's, it's got to be Damon West because Damon West's going to prison for the rest of his life, man. No one else is going with me. It's just me, right? So if I am disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And one of the best ways that I've learned in recovery to free myself of bad thoughts, of things that bother me, of fears, and which, by the way, fears, man, fears most of the time aren't even real. They're like that boogeyman whenever you were a kid that you thought was under your bed or in the closet. Did you ever find him, Lucas? No, no. you did They're no. not real.
0: Right. Most
1: fears are in our heads, man. They're not real, but we make them giants. Um, but you, And one of the best ways I've found to let go of that, is to go out and do service work for other people, man. Find mm. ways to help someone else. You know, and when I got out of prison, I have an abundance of time on my hand. I've got a job, but I don't have all this stuff going on in my life. Right now, I'm, man, I don't have any spare time. So, but when I got out, I had tons of it. So I had to find something to do. So my sponsor and AA, and, and so AA, I don't speak for AA. I gotta always say that the AA folks get mad at me. So I don't speak for AA, but it's part of the 12-step recovery program that I go to. So my sponsor tells me, He's like, you need to find some service work. And I said, what can I do? You know, I'm an ex-con. He said, you know what? He said, go to a retirement home. Go to a retirement home. Go to the front desk and ask Mm. them for a list of people that never get visits. They don't care if you've been to prison. They'll give you a list. And they did. They did. You go spend 10 minutes with someone that had had a visitor in 10 years, man, that's 88 years old. That'll change your whole worldview, man. That'll blow your hair. And you walk out of that place. after you visit four or five of them in a couple hours. You walk out of that place and you're like, "What was I upset about? What what was it that was bothering me so much?" Because it puts your life into perspective, man. Hmm. And today, one of the things I do, I don't, I don't go into a lot of retirement homes anymore, because my life doesn't take me there. But one of the places I like to go the most is into prisons. I mean, you know, I like going to talk to college football teams, corporations, schools, church groups, but I think where I have the most value in society is in prisons, man. I have the, I have a unique currency to spend with the incarcerated, man. There's not a there's not an inmate in America that can say, well, he doesn't know what it's like to have real time. Hell, I got life.
0: Hmm.
1: Or he doesn't know what it's like to do time on a real unit. Man, I'll put the Mark Styles unit against any unit in this country. It's, so, hmm. it, it's tough time. So when I walk into a prison, you know, any other room I'm walking into, I can get attention from 75, 85, 90, 95% of the people in the room. But if I go into a prison, I got 100% focus on me, man. Cause mm. everybody that's wearing that prison uniform wants what I've got and they're buying mm. whatever I'm selling, man. And I'm going in there and I'm selling hope brother because hope, mm. hope is a dangerous thing, man. And it, you know, that's, that's the line from Shawshank Redemption. And, 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 uh, Andy Dufresne was lying, man. Hope is a dangerous thing. If you put your hope in the wrong thing, you'll, you'll end up worse off than you were before. But, but I'm selling hope man. I'm selling hope and I'm selling that coffee bean message. Mm. And for someone out there struggling go take up being that coffee bean because if you're struggling, you're either the carrot or you're either the egg. You got to be that coffee bean. You got to change the atmosphere around you. And that's a choice. That's always a choice.
0: Brother, I'm so honored to have you on today. How can people find you? Where, where can they get your book and uh, follow along your journey?
1: I thought you'd never asked, man. You go to <laughs> amazon.com. <laughs> so my publisher's always like, man, plug the book, name and plug Cause at first I'm like, I'm not used to having a book. So, I write this book, Lucas, and so, you know, I don't, it, it's a, man, I don't think anybody's going to give a darn about this book, so I, I put this book together, and this publisher gets a hold of it. they're like, oh my God, this is amazing, and and every step of the way, Lucas, I'm thinking that someone's going to tell me we need to bring in a ghostwriter or something, but man, they keep telling me. my literary agent, the, the publisher, the editors are like, man, I don't know where you learn how to write, but you know how to write, so mm-hmm. I was still so nervous whenever the book came out that I was telling my fiance, I'm like, man, this is... It's gonna be terrible, you know, because you write a book. If you don't write well, people are gonna let you know. Because yes. they're just gonna they're just gonna tell you nothing. And so, but man, I've been getting all. I mean, people have gotten in touch. Are like, oh my god, it was it was so well written, and I'm just blown away by that. And I think it's one of those things that you know the universe puts into one person the ability to articulate what they saw and what they heard because it can be used for good. So I can mm. obviously I can go out and speak in front of people, and now I, I know that I'm capable of writing in front of people. So. The change agent, the change agent is is available on amazon.com. I think it's down to 17 bucks. Amazon creates their own market, man. They can do anything they want. They can set prices Mm -hmm. for everything. They're Amazon. So the change agent is on Amazon. You just type in Damon West. I'm the only Damon West on Amazon. Uh, Man, it's, if you like the story I told today, it's about one tenth of the entire story. And there's so much stuff about prison that's in that book and the basketball court story, the the shower story with the, the fan motor and, it's just, there's, there's, fascinating stuff in there. And you know, the other book, the one with uh, John Gordon, the coffee bean, that'll be out July 2nd, but you can pre-order it today, amazon.com.
0: Well, I just ordered the change agent, so it will be here in a few, it will actually be here tomorrow. So uh, thank you. I just bought that. I encourage everyone uh, to look up Damon West and buy his books, follow him and join him in the message of spreading hope.
1: I got one more for you, real quick. So check this out. This is Aaron. What? This is going to air on May fourteenth.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: get this, man. This is and this is a crazy story of God thing, right? So May seventeenth on Friday, man. May seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. One year to the day, almost. We're one day shy of when I got sentenced to life in prison. May eighteenth, two thousand nine, which is where the the change mm. agent starts. The the the, the prologue is. May 18th, May 2009. I'm in wow. that courtroom, and a wow. jury sends me to life in prison. Wow. May 17th, 2019, I will graduate from Lamar University here in Beaumont, big school, Lamar University here in Beaumont, with a master's in criminal justice of all things, with honors, and I'm giving the commencement speech at my own university's graduation wow. on Friday night.
0: Congratulations, that's long, brother. That's
1: one, dude, one side of the criminal justice system to the next. And then, on saturday on saturday i will marry my fiance kendall romero mm-hmm. at a ceremony at our house she's all of our families will be in town for the graduation she's got this little beautiful daughter named claire that's seven years old and i mean she mm-hmm. just i mean if you go on my twitter page at damon west seven you see the little video on my twitter page of claire whenever we're talking uh the other day about me being her stepdad she's just so excited about it um But I'll marry Kendall and uh, be Clara's stepdad on Saturday, May 18th. So we'll replace, we're going to replace that bad memory of being sentenced to life in prison
0: Mm. with a new
1: lifetime of uh, three of us together, man. It's going to be a great day.
0: It's, It's beautiful. What a turnaround. Hope, 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 hope. Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, he said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you are struggling with depression, despair, isolation, loneliness, shame, guilt, whatever you are struggling with, I want you to know there is hope for your freedom. There is hope for your freedom. And I encourage everyone to to maybe even go back and listen to this episode again and again if you need so that you can understand what it truly means to be the coffee bean. Also, there are so many different means of healing for you. One of the things that you might find helpful is I had a TEDx talk just go live in the past week, and it talks about the three steps, the three vulnerable truths, as I call them, to breaking the negative cycles that hold you back. So if you are struggling right now, I encourage you to seek help, but no hope is available for you. You can be free and your freedom is uniquely equal to the trauma that you've experienced and it's as beautiful and waiting for you as your decision to find it as always. Thank you for listening to today's show. Thank you for joining the golden rule revolution where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to talking with you next week.